BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called patreon.com slash BP show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Probably the worst and the most hate-filled speech given by any American president ever. Hello, everybody. It is The Bill Press Show here on Wednesday, Wednesday, September 20. And of course, We're talking about Donald Trump's speech yesterday to the United Nations General Assembly, a colossal embarrassment for the United States, where Donald Trump went up in front of the United Nations and basically uh, contradicted everything the United Nations stands for, promising war, promising to totally destroy uh, another country, and also saying, we don't give a damn about all the rest of you. I'm going to put America first, uber alles, always and ever, and you should do the same thing, and we should just all be out there fighting for ourselves and forget each other. That's not what the United Nations is all about. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Uh, There in New York is uh, where most of the attention was yesterday, but here in Washington, D.C., Republicans continue with their effort, their desperate last-ditch appeal With the deadline of September 30, just 10 days away now, they continue their last-ditch effort to repeal Obamacare and, of course, replace it with absolutely nothing and throw tens of millions of Americans off their health care protection. Yeah, but that's what you can expect from this cold-hearted gang from top to bottom. So much to talk about, so much you're going to want to comment about, and you do so on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll jump right into it. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories for you on this, what is it, a Wednesday morning now? It's a Wednesday. I forget the days. Middle of the week. So busy. These days, we begin with the two natural disasters that have been dominating the news over the past 24 hours. First, to Mexico, where the current death toll in the wake of the magnitude 7.1 earthquake stands at 217. Just awful. Unbelievably, this struck on the 32nd anniversary of the 1985 earthquake that killed thousands in that country. The President of Mexico has urged people to remain calm as rescue efforts continue. Uh, and in Puerto Rico, officials are preparing for what could be the strongest hurricane to ever hit the mainland. Maria currently has 155 mile an hour winds. 
that is expected to make landfall in Puerto Rico mid-morning today, Wednesday. Uh, the only slight silver lining that still looks like a pretty terrifying storm, it has been downgraded <laughs> from a Category 5 to a Category 4. So this is a, a tough situation for Puerto Rico and uh this just, you know, these national disasters continue. Uh, let's go to baseball in Major League Baseball. Some history last night. The 17-year-old collective single-season home run record uh, finally fell. It was uh, the Royals, Kansas City Royals' Alex Gordon, who broke that record. Of course, this is collective, so it's not as if he had all these home yeah. runs. 5,694 in one season collectively in all of baseball. That is the uh, best record since the year 2000, which was also, if I recall correctly, during the steroid era. But but also, there's more of the season to go, right? There is more of the season to go, so we'll have plenty more home runs. There's a couple weeks left here in the season. Why are more people hitting more home runs? Uh, I you know I think the game has changed where the focus is more on home runs and pitching than ever before. Uh, not as much as defense as it had been in recent years. Home runs make baseball more exciting, and baseball needs more viewers. Viewership is declining you know, at a that, rapid rate. But I mean that doesn't account for the fact that people are able to hit our pitchers not as good as they used to be, or pit, or batters are better than they used to be, or it's they a, got a lighter ball or bigger bats. or It's a different approach to the game. Here's what I would say. It's more of a focus on hitting power than it is on strategy, like bunting and getting guys uh, in, uh, just runs batted in. You know what I mean? It's it's more of a power game these days. Uh, I think it's climate change. Climate change. That's it. That's it. That's That's why. on TV and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, how about it? Wednesday, September 20. You got it. It's the Bill Press Show. Great to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us. As we boom out to you live from right here, our studio in Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Hello, hello. Great to have you with us on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, our own YouTube channel. Great to have you with us, and good to see you on Free Speech TV, Coast to Coast, and on WCPT out in Chicago. Hello, how's it going in Chicago today? We are with you wherever you are in this great land of ours, uh, coming to you from our studio again on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and joining you everywhere in this great land of ours with the news of the day, our take uh, as a bold progressive on the news of the day, and uh, our guest from uh, Alan Pike from Think Progress joining us uh, in uh, just about a half an hour, Emily uh, Tish Sussman, also from the Center for American Progress Action Fund on the efforts to repeal Obamacare, and then the one and only Joe Cirincioni, our good friend from the Plowshares Fund, to dissect uh, President Trump's speech in front of the United Nations yesterday and tell us what is really going on with the Iran nuclear deal. So much to talk about. I always remind you about our podcast because more and more people of you, uh, more and more of you check out our podcast uh, every day. Easy way to do so, BillPressShow.com. Uh, and the entire show up uh, every day. Check it out, and don't forget to review. What is it? Rate and review. No, review and rate. 
Right, do I get a backwards? You can do it in either, either order. I mean, right. it's, you know. <laughs> okay, but you got it. <laughs> it doesn't down. really matter. Yeah. Uh, and we appreciate your, your help on that. Yeah. Where do we start? We start as we have started almost every day for the last couple of weeks with the latest of the natural disasters to strike, uh, particularly our neighbors to the south. Yes, uh, how do you solve a problem like Maria? Man, you just <laughs> you just duck and cover, I guess. It is uh, a now, Maria, a Category 4 hurricane, packing winds of up to 155 miles an hour. Uh, yesterday hit the, uh, the tiny island of Tortula, uh, b- by the way, which was just like devastated uh, by Hurricane Irma. Uh, I-, I saw uh, on the news last night there was video of Tortula, and there is like one, not one building in Tortula that has a roof left, right? And then, so how do people find shelter from another hurricane when there's no place to go, no place to hide? This devastation out there, down there is unreal. Uh, Maria now has just started to hit Puerto Rico, uh, the full force uh, by uh, mid-morning uh, hitting Puerto Rico. Uh, this is the first major storm of this ca- of this size, Category 4, to hit Puerto Rico in, 80, in 90, 90 years. Uh, and the population of Puerto Rico has doubled in that time. Uh, so you can expect a lot more casualties, a lot more damage, a lot more devastation in the Puerto Rico area, uh, and it's headed also, Maria, for the Virgin Islands. Uh, talked to a friend of mine last night who has a beautiful home on the Virgin Islands uh, on St. Croix uh, who told me that uh, they were uh, they had lucky lucky to escape the full bore, full brunt of Hurricane Irma, but they expect the worst from Hurricane Maria. Meanwhile, the second earthquake in two weeks to hit uh, Mexico Remember that 8.1 earthquake hitting southern Mexico uh, just a couple of weeks ago. This was a 7.1, 80 miles outside of Mexico City. As of this morning, 217 dead, including 22 children buried in an elementary school when the school just collapsed. And the video, I'm sure you saw some of it, of just buildings, high-rise buildings, right? 20 stories or so, just collapsing into the street. Unbelievable. Uh, and this was yesterday, the 32nd anniversary of the big, big earthquake back in uh, 2000, uh, 1985 that killed uh, over 10,000 people uh, in Mexico. Um, so there uh, on, the, on the climate change or the climate w- front, if you will. And yes, it was Donald Trump's debut speech in front of the United Nations yesterday. I don't know whether you got to see it or saw some of the clips of it. It was a, I believe, a monumental embarrassment. I mean, to me, it was also almost a replay of his inaugural address. There was nothing uplifting about it. There was nothing positive about it. It was all gloom, doom, and carnage. (laughs) The phrase that he used... Uh, in the inaugural address, remember that George W. Bush, President George W. Bush, afterwards said to a friend, turned to a friend after the president spoke, the new president spoke, and said, boy, that was some weird S-H-you-know-what. Uh, well, that's what, uh, that's what we could say about that speech yesterday. And Donald Trump st- struck several themes, uh, and which I thought just totally contradicted what the United Nations stands for. He didn't say, oh, by the way, a little transition there from the hurricanes to Donald Trump's speech. Of course, he didn't mention climate change in the entire speech. Not, did not, 
talked about all the threats facing the globe, did not mention climate change, even though just about every nation sitting in front of him had signed on to the Paris Accords, including the United States originally, and now he has pulled us out of it at any rate. But, you know, it, it wasn't a speech where he said, as most presidents do and most world leaders do, uh, we're all here now. Let us all work together. Let us strive for world peace. And maybe we can achieve that someday. And yes, we've got some problems, but we all work together. We can get there. An aspirational speech, that's usually what it is. No, with Donald Trump, it was every man for himself, every man or woman for himself. We're putting America first, and you got to put your country first. And if everybody just cares about his own country, you know, then we'll just go on in our own merry way. And in the meantime, we will destroy anybody who gets in our way because we're Americans and we're the bullies and we're bigger than anybody. It was just it was it was uh, it was like the the schoolhouse bully given given the pulpit. So here here's Donald Trump again saying, don't 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 get us wrong. We may be here at the United Nations, but we only care about America as president of the United States. I will always put America first. Just like you, as the leaders of your countries, will always and should always put your countries first. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's just so much wrong with that. Of course we love our country, right? And of course he can say, my primary, as president of the United States, my primary goal is to do what's best for America. But this is the United Nations where you add the next phrase is, but we are here to work with you to make this a better planet, make this a better world, make make things better for everybody no matter where they are on the planet. There's none of that with Donald Trump. It's all about me, 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 me. And Donald Trump saying, you know, yeah, we have, again, contradicting everything that the United Nations stands for, um, he he says, yeah, we've entered into some trade deals with you, or we've agreed with some of you on some other things, and we've got, but you know what? No more of that. Uh-uh. We can no longer be taken advantage of mm-hmm. or enter into a one-sided deal where the United States gets nothing in return. I'd like to see one deal where the United States got nothing in return. He doesn't even talk about one. Maybe he's talking about the Iran deal, which he gets to just a little bit later. Uh, and of course, uh, Donald Trump, who cannot stop campaigning and treats everybody in the, in, on the planet like candidates he used to run against, you know, little Marco, Lion Ted, crooked Hillary. And now he brings it to the United Nations like a school kid. Rocket man. Rocket man <laughs> is on a suicide mission for himself and for his regime. Yeah. Tweet man versus rocket man. It's so, you know, it sounds very silly. Uh, I will, I'm not going to give him this, but apparently, according to Jim Acosta at CNN, the reason why he chose the term Rocket Man is because it translates so clearly in Chinese, so that it is clear to the Chinese how we feel about their relationship with North Korea. Regardless, it is still incredibly childish, and I'm sure there could have been something else that he could have picked, or just call him Kim Jong-un. Uh, by the way, I'll repeat what I said yesterday. I think Jim, Kim Jong-un probably likes the phrase rocket man. Sure. Term of endearment for him. He gets his rocks off watching mm-hmm. these missiles blast off, right? So, yeah, call him rocket man. 
If yeah. there's one thing he wants to be associated with, rockets. it's rockets and missiles. Yeah, absolutely. So Missile Man, Rocket Man, I'm sure he says, yep, that's me. Yep, you got it right. Uh, and as to our relationship with uh, North Korea, uh, talks with North Korea, peace for the region, hell no. Donald Trump's idea is make it a parking lot. The United States has great strength and patience. Mm-hmm. But if it is forced to defend itself or its allies... We will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Yes, right. Totally. So, again, an American president in front of the General Assembly of the United Nations for the first time, world peace, hell no. Totally destroy North Korea. That's what we're going to do. And the contradiction here is, okay, so, well, first of all, he also says, did, did he talk about, I mean, there's some great things happening in the world, right? There's a, there are a lot of problems in the world, don't get me wrong. But there are also some very positive things happening in terms of global exchanges, global agreements, um, people working together, uh, particularly in times of crisis. Did Donald Trump see any of that? Uh-uh, no. He just says, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? It, it, it. Major portions of the world are in conflict, and some, in fact, are going to hell. Right. Again, it was just this gloom, doom. Everywhere he looked, he sees the world going to hell. Uh, and then again, the contradiction to me is, is that, okay, so we're going to destroy North Korea because they're trying to develop a nuclear weapon. And then you look on the other side of the world, and here's Iran, which has signed a deal with us to abandon their nuclear weapons program to do exactly what we want North Korea to do, but North Korea will probably never do. So Iran does it, what North Korea will not do. And what does Donald Trump do? He dumps on the deal that we made with Iran, which achieves the very goal he's trying to get in North Korea. He doesn't know his ass from a hot rock when it comes to foreign policy. So here's what he says, again, oh, he said this during the campaign, he just again. He's still the candidate. He did. He you know. He that's his role. That's 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 who he is. That's what he loves doing. So he repeats what he said over and over again uh, during the campaign about the Iran nuclear deal. The Iran deal was one of the worst and most one-sided transactions the United States has ever entered into. One side. Frankly, that deal is an embarrassment to the United States, and I don't think you've heard the last of it. Believe me. Believe me. Yeah, right. Believe me. Uh-huh. Yeah. A one-sided deal. Okay. So uh, let's look at that deal. And we'll talk a, a lot more about this with Joe Cirincioni in our final half hour together today. But the Iran nuclear deal, what did we get out of it? What we got out of it is Iran abandoned its nuclear weapons program for at least 15 years. They are not. They got rid of their most of their centrifuges. We've got people inspecting that. We've got people making sure they're complying with the deal. And they put that whole program aside for at least 15 years. That's what we get out of it, a safer planet. And the opportunity maybe to form some positive long-range relationship with Iran. Uh, Donald Trump is on the verge of throwing it all away. Again, we'll find out more about that with Joe Cerny because the, uh, the, the uh, deal is up for renewal very shortly. And it looks like Donald Trump is, and from what he said yesterday, uh, certainly planning to pull out of it. Uh, overall, 
Um, Again, I think a very embarrassing performance uh, for the United States. Uh, As as some pointed out, uh, this isn't the last, the first time that some world leader has gotten in front of the UN General Assembly and done nothing but give a hate-filled, fiery, in-your-face, totally negative, insulting speech. Donald Trump wasn't the first. The other two who've done so are Muammar Gaddafi and Hugo Chavez. Oh, Bill, what do they have in common? Yes, right. Huh. Dictators. <laughs> Dictators. Dictators. Right. Which is and what now, Donald Trump wants to be. And now you put Donald Trump Donald Trump on the list. What company we keep? What an embarrassment. How did we end up with this idiot as our president? Um, by the way, just a little um, segue maybe uh, to some other news here uh, um, on, on uh, Donald Trump. I got this in I got this in the mail yesterday, unsolicited, didn't even know about it. New book out, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. And the reason I mention this, by the way, and it's uh, by uh, St. Martin's Press, Thomas, Thomas Dunn Books at uh, St. Martin's Press. Uh, he happens to be my publisher as well. But I didn't know um, that uh, this uh, St. Martin's, Tom Dunn, had put this book out, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. So we know that, you know, in the there's a th- something called the Goldwater Rule, that because some people back when Goldwater was running for president, some psychiatrists said, this guy's nuts. He should never be president. That the American Psychiatric Association said, from now on, we are not going to comment on the mental capacity or the mental health of anybody running for president. Well, this book has uh, accounts by and essays by 27 psychiatrists and mental health experts taking a look at Donald Trump. And they conclude that their moral and civic, I'm just reading from the flap here, their moral, they have a moral and civic duty to warn, which is more important than observing the Goldwater rule. And all 27 of these make the case that Donald Trump is a mentally unstable and dangerous, dangerously unfit person to occupy the office of president of the United States. 27 professionals put it down here. They, they risk, if you will, their license or their professional standing by saying, yeah, we know about that Goldwater rule, but it's more important to warn the country about this man who's now in the White House, the dangerous case of Donald Trump. Just got it yesterday, haven't read it, but I've been flipping through it, and it is dynamite. It is devastating, and it is scary to think, particularly that this guy has his finger on the nuclear button. You're going to hear a lot about this book. Something that we already knew, but it is always comforting to get that uh, clinical uh, clarification there from the folks who know uh, for real. Uh, those of you uh, tweeting at us, you agree as well. Donald Trump being unstable, getting a couple of tweets already about uh, his speech at the U.N. yesterday. Phil says Trump is actually right about the world going to hell, but it's because of climate change and not radical <laughs> Islamic terrorism. Good point. Tom says yesterday's speech was totally, completely embarrassing. And Rich says, obviously Donald Trump wrote his own speech. Sounds like a dictator. Keep tweeting at us at BP Show. I tweeted out at my account at JBensonDC. I want to know if you have a more clever nickname for Kim Jong-un 
than Rocket Man. Give us some suggestions. How about Tweet a clever us. nickname for Donald Trump? That's true. Give me some more Trump nicknames, too. Yeah, right. Never run out of those. Yeah. I was just looking on the flap here again on this book. Uh, a couple of these people talk about uh, Donald Trump. Uh, the phrase is unbridled and extreme present hedonism. Perfect. Uh, yeah. And the narcissism. Oh, man. It goes on and on. What else is happening in the news? Well, how about on Capitol Hill? Um, the effort to repeal Obamacare and replace it again with nothing. This is the latest from Lindsey Graham and uh, Bill Cassidy. Lindsey Graham, South Carolina, Bill Cassidy, Louisiana. Remember, two months ago, we thought it was dead. They tried. They tried three different ways. Every one of them failed. Couldn't get even 50 votes so that Mike Pence could break the tie. Now they are back with this effort, uh, which, by the way, is, well, let's just put it this way. It's it, it's a disaster for many reasons, but one of the reasons is because when Obamacare failed, the repeal first failed, then Lamar Alexander and Patty Murray started doing something we haven't seen in a long time. Democrat and Republican got together and they said, you know what? It makes more sense then, since we're not going to repeal Obamacare, let's fix Obamacare. And they were really working and making a lot of progress on a bipartisan measure to take some of the shortcomings of Obamacare, particularly when it comes to drug drug prices, when particularly when it comes um, to um, the uh, insurance companies still being able to, uh, to raise premiums um, beyond what they should. Um, but a, a very sound, bipartisan, again, repeal of Obamacare. Lamar Alexander, yes, this, and now along comes Lindsey Graham and says, and, and, and Bill Cassidy and say, no, 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 we don't want that. No, let's go back to repeal, repeal, repeal. And uh, any efforts toward moderation, any efforts toward a middle ground disappeared. Bill Cassidy and, uh, I mean, Lamar Alexander and Patty Murray yesterday said, okay, we'll drop our bill. It's dead. Any effort at bipartisanship is gone. So now we're stuck with this Lindsey Graham and Bill Cassidy measure. Well, as we told you uh, in the last couple of days, and we'll talk more about this with Emily Tish Sussman from um, American Progress, Center for American Progress, uh, just a little bit later. Uh, there are, out of 52 senators, maybe, we don't know for sure, all we know is one sure vote, one sure no vote, which is Rand Paul. Maybe Susan Collins, no. Maybe Lisa Murkowski, no. One would hope that would get back to 50, 49. That would kill it. But they won't say uh, John McCain was asked yesterday, John McCain, who cast the decisive no vote to kill the effort to repeal the last time, what's he saying this time? Nothing. I have nothing to say. Okay? Thank you. No, I have nothing to say. Well, you had a lot to say in that courageous speech that you gave uh, when you came back from the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. That was um, that was yeah. a quite elegant speech, John. I, I'm I'm a little shocked that you've run out of words to say. Oh yeah, but now it's his buddy, his BFF, Lindsey Graham, who's got this bill. So John McCain, is he going to vote for the American people, or is he going to vote to please his friend? I have He's nothing to say. Nothing to say. Uh, Chuck Schumer had something to say about this bill yesterday uh, in terms of its impact on um, Americans who now have health insurance for the very first time. Tens of millions of people could well lose coverage. People who desperately need essential services would lose it. Our Republican colleagues don't seem to care about how this affects the average American. 
Our good friends from MoveOn.org uh, under Ben Wickler at a big protest at the Capitol yesterday. Bernie Sanders said, um, no doubt about it, just people are going to die. Thousands of people a year will die if that legislation becomes law. As everybody's pointed out, by the way, uh, other, other groups, the American Medical Association came out against this yesterday. The American Heart Association came out against it. Also, the March of Dimes came out against this legislation. Boy, they seldom get involved in, uh, in actually lobbying against the legislation. Um, but also several Republican governors, Governor Larry Hogan from Maryland, Governor Brian Sandoval from uh, New Mexico, uh, no, uh, Nevada, right? Uh, John Kasich from Ohio. Uh, ten governors signed a letter yesterday saying this bill is a bad bill. Uh, we cannot support this bill, urging their senators to vote against it. Even the governor of Louisiana, Bill Cassidy's governor, who's a Democrat, John Bell Edwards, uh, came out against it uh, as well. So there's a little backlash yesterday, which hopefully will put some backbone into uh, Susan Collins and to Lisa Murkowski. Don't want to be too hard on them because they cast the votes, the right votes the last time. But damn it, they haven't said yet how they're going to vote. Uh, and we don't want them to waffle at all. So as we encourage you yesterday... Make your calls, 202-224-3121. But put a call into every one of the 50 of the 100 senators and tell them they got to vote the right way on this. they got to vote no on this effort uh, to repeal. Uh, and Bill Cassidy himself got a little haircut yesterday from Jimmy Kimmel, last night from Jimmy Kimmel, because I don't know how long ago it was, but Bill Cassidy went on Jimmy Kimmel's show and said, I will never support any bill that deprives anybody who's got it now of their health insurance coverage. And yet his bill guts Medicaid, kills Medicaid, takes away all the subsidies that people would get, that do get now, uh, enabling them to buy health insurance under Obamacare, does away with all of that and does away with the mandate that any empl that employers for more than 50 people uh, have to provide uh, health insurance or that people have to buy it. Just totally, totally guts the program. Jimmy Kimmel says, he lied to me, he betrayed me, he stabbed me in the back. Not only did Bill Cassidy fail the Jimmy Kimmel test, he failed the Bill Cassidy test. He failed his own test. And you don't see that happen very much. And they're counting on you to be so overwhelmed with all the information, you just trust them to take care of you. But they're not taking care of you. They're taking care of the people who give them money, like insurance companies. And we're all just looking at our uh, Instagram accounts and liking things while they're voting on whether people can afford to keep their children alive or not. Yep. Whoa. Very good for Jimmy Kimmel. And by the way, you know, this was a personal issue for Jimmy Kimmel because of his infant son who had a rare condition, disease, something along those lines. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, he's yeah. a high profile celebrity who's stressing how important, you know, care is for his son and millions of Americans. Yeah. And you don't blame him for being pissed. Here's a guy came on his show, told the world on his program, don't trust me. Trust me, I will never do anything to take health insurance away from people who have it now. And then he comes out with this piece of crap, this piece of legislation. One would only hope that with those Republican governors coming out with all these health uh, care agencies coming out against this legislation, that that will, uh, again, put a little backbone into enough Republican senators to kill this effort. They have until September 30, but it is too damn close for comfort. As long as they're in that 48 or 49 vote range, uh, that's too close to 50 for us to relax at all. The resistance 
the resistance, the healthy resistance is stop this latest repeal effort. Meanwhile, what is happening out in the St. Louis area and what is happening generally with police community relations? That's the beat of Alan Pike at Think Progress. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back with Alan Pike here on the Bill Press Show. I have nothing to say. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Wednesday, September 20. Hello, hello. Great to see you today. It is The Bill Press Show live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio on Capitol Hill, joining you everywhere in this great land of ours and brought to you today by the United um, or the UFCW, the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. Under President Mark Perone, the good men and women, uh, they're the uh, they're the clerks in uh, the, in the uh, grocery stores where you shop. The people who uh, stock the shelves, uh, the people who check you out, they make uh, grocery shopping uh, a pleasant experience for you. Uh, and we salute them for their good work and thank them for their support of the program. You can check out the good work at their website, ufcw.org. Uh, yes, just bringing you up to date as we move along. Hurricane Maria has now made a landfall, a Category 4, winds of up to 155 miles an hour making landfall in Puerto Rico, um, a direct hit on Puerto Rico, uh, and Donald Trump making a direct hit at the United Nations. Uh, yesterday, the UN General Assembly, with one of the most hate-filled speeches given by any American president, uh, to which some people might have some comments. Jamie? A couple comments on Twitter. We asked for some nicknames for both Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un because we... You know, Rocket Man? We think Rocket Man's a little too childish. We're looking for something uh, better. Uh, Joshua suggests for Kim Jong-un, the stay-puffed <laughs> megalomaniac man. Uh, well, I like that one. That, is that for... The- Kim Jong-un or Donald I, Trump? I think it could go either way, well, to I be quite honest. Could, right. uh, for Donald Trump, Joyce says, Twitter boy. Uh, oh, he acts Twitter like boy. a small child. Uh, I like that one as well. A couple comments on the uh, health care uh, situation as well, the Graham-Cassidy bill and what John McCain might do. Tom says, I hope I'm wrong, and McCain votes with his constituents, but his last thumb down, you remember that, on the floor of the Senate, may have been an aberration. And Sandy says, I hope we are both wrong, replying to Tom, and he votes to save lives and votes against the hashtag GOP death care bill. Keep weighing in on Twitter at BP Show. You got it. Uh, yes, indeed. A, uh, a, a scary situation also out in St. Louis over the weekend. Um, a lot of people out in the streets protesting a ruling by uh, a judge that came down on Friday um, acquitting a police officer of. Um, uh, do I use the word murder? I guess I don't know who's accused. That's of what that. they charged him with. That's what they charged him with. Yeah. Okay, yeah. accused of quitting a police officer of murder of a of an unarmed black man back in the year two thousand and eleven. Uh, Alan Pike, our good friend from uh, Think Progress, this is his beat. Joins us in studio. Hi, Alan. How Hi, are Bill. you? I'm well. So how are first, you? let's get to facts of this case because this happened. That's uh, what surprised me about it. 
when I saw the protests, I thought, what's this all about? Right? Yeah. And this this was back in 2011. Yeah, yeah, what six years ago. About? Uh, yeah. And they, they took a while to charge it. Um, so uh, this was a, a young man named Anthony Lamar Smith who was killed by a white police officer named Jason Stockley back in 2011. Uh, Stockley and his partner had uh, thought, thought they saw uh, this guy engaged in a drug deal in a fast food parking lot, approached his car, he sped away, uh, and they pursued him for... I think like uh, a mile or so, a b- brief brief high-speed police chase through the city. Uh, they catch up to him, ram the back of his car, and uh, within about 30 or 45 seconds after they get out of the car, he's dead. Uh, he was shot five times, one of them from quite close up. Uh, so a, a shell casing found in the car and four found on the ground nearby. Uh, the The central dispute of the case is whether... Uh, Smith had a gun with him in the car. Uh, Stockley testified there that was a gun in the car. There was a gun found in the car, uh, a revolver, and Stockley testified that he had been uh, giving verbal commands to uh, to uh, get out of the car and keep your hands where you can, where I can see him and all that kind of stuff. And that Smith had begun to reach for something, and then that was what prompted him to to fire. Um, but in the video from inside the dash, the dashboard uh, camera video from inside their police cruiser during the chase, you can hear him say to his partner, you know, we're killing this expletive, uh, right? And so the, the video seems to show, uh, two guys who've sort of decided what they're going to do, getting out of the car and doing it. Intent, and, intent to kill. Yeah. And that, that, so the, the two central sort of pieces uh, points of dispute in as a matter of law before this judge one was does him saying that constitute premeditation which was part of the basis for uh, in the in the statute for a murder charge in in Missouri uh, and the other the more sort of probably more important piece is whether this was actually Smith's gun or a, a, a planted gun uh, whether whether Stockley the cop who killed him uh, had had tossed this gun into the car. And again, there's there's a, a bunch of video, um, none of which perfectly captures everything that happens in these crucial couple of moments, but there's some irregularities. The the officer who fires the, the fatal shots uh, is then going back and forth from the police cruiser to the, the dead man's car a number of times um, on both, captured again on, on the police cameras and also by uh, cell phone video shot by bystanders. Um, the judge decided in a, it's a, it's a long ruling. Let me, let me, let me stop. Yeah, because my understanding is that there was DNA found on the gun. Right. Yeah. So so there's no DNA of Smith's, the dead man's, on the gun. Uh, there is DNA of Stockley's, uh, the officer, uh, found under the head of a screw on the pommel of the of the of the revolver. Uh, how which was his, a big part of the the basis of the prosecution's case? How would his DNA get? How, well, first of all. If it were if it were Smith's gun, right, his fingerprints would be on it. One would one one would, one would imagine it stands to reason. Uh, there was testimony from medical experts and, and forensic experts in the case that uh, you can't prove that that someone hasn't touched a gun just because you don't find their DNA on it. Um, okay, the the if DNA the, the DNA stuff is not dispositive. Is the the fancy okay. word that that lawyers like to use for but this? But if you find someone's fingerprint on the gun, yeah. Like it's, it's awful. Officer Stockley. Right. Right. So the 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 thinking, the, the theory of the case from the prosecutors was that Stockley had gone back to his car, gone into a, a duffel bag, grabbed a, what cops call a throwdown piece. Um, mm-hmm. The, you know, a, a gun, a gun that an officer might keep with them for this purpose. 
to to tuck into the car uh, that, so that it could be found and uh, and inserted into evidence as Smith's and therefore be a justification for the killing. Um, the judge basically was not persuaded by uh, any of the prosecutor's arguments in the end. This this ended up being a bench trial rather than a jury trial because mm-hmm. Stockley opted for uh, just going before a judge rather than than twelve citizens. Um, and the the judge uh, wrote out a, a pretty lengthy sort of point by point uh, explanation of his of his reasoning and seems not to have found the prosecution's case at all persuasive. And he's uh, more definitive in how he describes what you can and can't see in the videos that have been released than uh, than than I would have been comfortable being. But that's why he's paid the judge money. But didn't he also money, make a statement something like, okay? A, a young guy is doing a drug deal. You gotta know he had a gun in his car. Essentially, yeah. One of the one of the last drug the, deal the conclusion gun of gun in car. Right. The conclusion of of his long sort of point by point walk through the video and the DNA evidence and all that ends with him saying, uh, you know, in thirty years on the bench, my experience tells me that a, a heroin, an urban the phrase was an urban heroin dealer who doesn't have a gun would be an anomaly or something like that. Um, so yeah, there, there's uh, a reason to think that there's sort of a replication of prejudice uh, throughout this case. There's also, it should be noted, uh, a there was a bag of of heroin recovered in the car with Smith's. Uh, so DNA he was on it. probably yeah. The the it was probably a it, drug deal. It's, right. It's it's likely that this guy yeah. was uh, at least had uh, controlled substances in his car. What whatever else I don't know. I don't know, but. Uh, the 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 circumstances of the killing were murky enough, and the evidence of a potentially uh, dirtied uh, invest- crime scene by by the officer who shot him uh, was strong enough for prosecutors to run with it after right. a few years, which is unusual. Police are very very rarely charged in cases of uh, deadly force being used while on duty. It's exceedingly rare, um, and as we've seen over and over and over again this year. Uh, it's even rarer to win a conviction when a prosecutor does take a case like that to court. But what is this? There's one other fact here in in, in between. Between 2011 and 2017, the city recognized some culpability here. Yeah, yeah. And have paid his family. Yeah, there was a $900,000 settlement paid out by the city. Um, the, Which is the city? I believe with the approval of the, the the board of the of the city police was how it was described um, in in but the local. Doesn't reports. that mean the city acknowledging in effect that the police officer did something wrong? To you and I, I think it does. I think the lawyers are always very careful in um, in the language that accompanies a settlement like this, in in you know writing down that this neither yeah. confirms yeah. nor denies, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The 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 tricky. Yeah, but we uh, all know that that's. A fig leaf, right? Yeah, they're not. They're not I, paying out a million dollars. I think, generally if, speaking, if you believe that you're that that if you are fully confident with clear eyes that uh, the conduct that your officers are being excoriated for in the press and and potentially uh, held criminally liable for in court uh, was was uh, fully above board, generally you don't uh, you you fight these things. It's also true that. Different cities have different policies on how they respond to civil suits involving police, um, and the the impulse to settle uh, will save you money. Uh, even if even if you ultimately win a case, you'll spend a lot of time in court uh, fighting it. So it, you know there there are arguments that uh, that you shouldn't treat those sort of settlements as a proxy for 
uh, as any kind of like tacit admission, but but certainly that's how it looks. It, and it's and it's right. odd to have uh, the city on one hand saying this your 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 father shouldn't be dead and he is, uh, and here's some money um, so that we don't have to keep arguing about this in court. And on the other hand, have a judge say uh, the guy who killed your father actually did a fine job, right? And it, so th- this is this is where you get. Four nights in a row of pretty a, a protest, uh, assertive right. uh, protests through downtown right. St. Louis. You get four nights in a row of pretty assertive protest, uh, understandably against this uh, judge's decision. Um, I mean, th- this issue had kind of gone away, right, in St. Louis, right? I mean, then well, it, it, it comes back. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think in <laughs> in the media we uh, pop in and pop out on, on these stories. That's I think I, I I don't think anyone who lives in St. Louis would say that uh, that this stuff has yeah. gone away. But but I know what but, you mean. Yeah, it's, we've our our attention is pulled back to uh, right. the St. Louis metropolitan area and uh, a fatal shooting involving an on duty police officer under uh, what I think can fairly be termed at a minimum um, suspicious circumstances. So we saw the action of the protesters. We also saw some pretty aggressive action on the part of the St. Louis Police Department. Yeah. Uh, who sort of uh, co-opted the chant of protesters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sunday night Black got Lives hairy. Matter. Yeah. Sunday night got hairy. So people were in the streets on, on Friday and on Saturday and on Sunday and again on Monday um, during the day in large numbers and, uh, you know, marching and chanting outside of uh, police headquarters and city hall and staging die-ins and the like. Uh, and and uh, these protests being led by clergy during the day would wind down um, a little before sunset each day, and sort of they would organizers would call a halt. Most of the people who had turned out would would leave, would go home, would go you know have mm-hmm. dinner, be with their families. Um, and each night, a, a, a sort of smaller cohort of stragglers stayed in the streets uh, and continued to. Um, to to chant and march and in some cases in isolated cases I think it's really easy to exaggerate the scope of things like this when you're talking about protest environments which are fluid and chaotic at times uh, but in some small isolated number of cases there were individuals each of those nights who chose to um, break windows uh, toss trash cans into the street etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, minor property damage um, and on Sunday uh, things escalated pretty dramatically in the evening there was a a couple there are a couple of scattered incidents that i think help to explain why in addition to the simmering anger that you can imagine coming out of a case like what the one we just talked about uh police didn't do themselves any favors here there was an incident on sunday uh, a little before sunset where a uh, a blue unmarked police car police vehicle um suddenly backed up fairly quickly through a crowded a street crowded with protesters who had to sort of yeah. jump out of the way. Yeah. Nobody was hit, uh, nobody was hurt, but people were reminded me alarmed. Of, reminded me of Charlottesville. Absolutely, and 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 we can talk about you know the the, the way that uh, protesters and cars uh, share space is is only going to get weirder. I think as this as this mm-hmm. uh, moment that we're in uh, with distrust of police and and mass protests around a number of issues uh, escalates and continues. Um, but so there's that moment on Sunday with a, an, under, uh, an unmarked uh, police car. Uh, there was another uh, moment after the police had decided that the smashing of some windows by some people in this group of around 100, 100 plus people walking around downtown meant that the entire sort of event was was done, yeah. was at that point an unlawful assembly. Um, 
there's some contrasting clips. There's there's a moment where uh, officers uh, rush in to grab and arrest about a half a dozen people uh, right around 8 p.m. when the first couple windows get smashed. Uh, and there's some footage from that that's pretty scary and chaotic where you see officers kind of breaking formation and and chasing after a group of demonstrators and one of them firing a shotgun uh, loaded with uh, what they call less lethal ammunition of some kind. Um, but sort of chasing chasing people down a city street and firing after them in a way that that looks more uh, more erratic than controlled to the naked eye, uh, and then later in the night, about three hours later, uh, large masses of cops in um, clear and coherent formation uh, block off uh, a couple blocks of a street, push people into one uh, small area, and form what's called a kettle where yeah. uh, officers basically line up at the outside of a space and everyone inside of it it's, gets arrested. Gets arrested right. And that included uh, at least one local journalist, a reporter for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, who uh, was out yesterday talking about, it feels he was assaulted. He was still walking with a limp yesterday, mm-hmm. according to uh, Ryan Riley, who I think is a friend of the show, uh, if I remember yes, right. right. Uh, yes. The Huffington Post, who's out there. Um, and there was another guy who is not a sort of credentialed local media person, but a, a one of those YouTube streamer citizen mm-hmm. journalist types who covers protests like this, also got arrested um, in the kettle. And they they ended up with about 80 people arrested uh, overall on the night. And there were there were just moments throughout the evening that that um, where police conducted themselves less like the. Uh, guardians of sort of the city's civil rights that you might expect and more like uh, a enthusiastic tribe of occupying warriors. Uh, there's there's a clip that's been going around of uh, where you see police chanting, whose streets are whose streets, streets. Whose streets are streets. What's, what's, what's the Black Lives Matter? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a common... But, so overall, I mean, this, what, this judge's decision, uh, it, doesn't it show that uh, not just in St. Louis, but across the country, that um, that the deck is really stacked. Yeah, right? the legal system. Absolutely, the, the our legal system of justice is really stacked in support of people wearing the uniform. Yeah, and there's a there's a really complicated and esoterically phrased and crafted legal standard that applies in in cases involving police use of force on duty, and in particular, lethal force. Uh, when a cop kills somebody during the the course of doing their job and a prosecutor, again, which is rare, rare. as hell to begin with, a uh, prosecutor actually decides, you know what, I think this was criminal, not justified, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I'm, and I'm going to take it to court. The standard by which the court, whether it's a judge or a jury, has to judge uh, the, the charges against a cop involves... Um, Sort of imagining a hypothetical, uh, nameless, faceless, quote unquote, reasonable officer, and you're not allowed to second guess the judgment at the scene of the cop. You're only allowed to interrogate whether uh, the actions they took and the actions you can sort of substantiate with their with video, with with the best evidence, with with eyewitness testimony and video and the rest, uh, comports with the standards of training that they were given. If 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 they can sort of peg their actions inside mm-hmm. of the box of how I was trained to do this job and what our policies are, um, right. then you're really, you have very little latitude as a jury member or as a judge 
um, to to second guess their judgment right. of how much danger they were in. Right. And so an officer can effectively uh, declare, uh, for these reasons, I feared for my safety and the safety of my partner and the safety of mm-hmm. bystanders, therefore, and and therefore had to act. And right. it's and it's almost impossible to win a conviction in those cases. Alan Pike with us from Think Progress, thinkprogress.org. And of course, any efforts on the part of the um, federal government under Barack Obama uh, to uh, try to um, address this issue of police community relations and adopt maybe some better guidelines uh, are out the window, thanks to the new attorney general, He's uh, trying. Jeff yeah. Sessions, uh, who has just told the police departments, basically, you can ignore anything that you were asked to do under President Obama. Pretty much. And go back. Uh, and Jeff Sessions is not me. I'm, I'm sure that's being welcomed in some uh, jurisdictions. California, not so much. Yeah. Right? Yeah, they're not which, thrilled. Which you've written about. Yeah. yeah. So Sessions uh, is also not a big fan of sentencing reform and had, while he was in the Senate, helped to undermine compromises being struck between Republicans and Democrats who agree about this stuff um, to uh, reduce the disparities in sentencing between different types of, of uh, drug charges and also to... Uh, to start to walk back the uh, what are called sentencing enhancements, it basically automatically tacked on additional years when you're convicted of a crime and have uh, X, Y, and Z on your prior record. Uh, Eric Holder, former Attorney General, had issued a memo to U.S. attorneys some years ago uh, instructing them to, instead of change, changing department policy, instead of telling them uh, you always have to chart, you always have to go for the longest possible sentence for cases right. you bring, yeah. uh, instructing them to use their judgment and exercise some... Uh, uh, and Jeff Sessions has said just the opposite. Exactly. Jeff yeah. Sessions revoked that flexibility from right. from uh, federal prosecutors, told them anytime you want to ask the judge for less than the total, than, than the absolute maximum allowable under the law, uh, you have to get permission from your boss, uh, which re- ultimately will end up meaning you know somebody comes to his office with it. Uh, and gets told no because he doesn't believe in this stuff. So what California's just done is uh, repeal their own state version of uh, these automatic uh, – one form of these automatic sentencing enhancements. Uh, it used to be for decades in California that you would get uh, an additional three years tacked onto your prison term uh, for any prior conviction involving narcotics. Uh, that uh, – once Governor Brown signs it, which he's expected to do later this month or early next – um, that that automatic sentencing enhancement law will fall away, except for people who uh, whose, whose drug conviction involves having suborned uh, a minor into their employ. So they they tried to sort of leave space for uh, going after people perceived to be the most serious drug dealers, people who are running sort of organized drug dealing operations where right. they have kids uh, working for them. Right. That that will still uh, trigger these automatic sentencing enhancements, but you won't get people getting dumped in jail for 20 years off of a, a minor pot bust because they have, you know, other minor pot busts on their record. Which is the impact of this former policy, which is our prisons are so crowded today with people who are there for nonviolent drug crimes, right? And with the long, right. these long sentences, because it was always seek the maximum possible punishment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and we've and been... The, the, and also the difference between powder cocaine and crack cocaine right. and... Right. Yeah, and and the the disparities in in how cocaine sentencing works and these drug enhancement things are are sort of different mechanisms. They're different sort of I don't know buttons on the soundboard of the American justice system, but they're all philosophically aligned around this idea that um, people who have committed crimes are not actually 
rehabilitatable, if that's a word, mm-hmm. which it probably is not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you can. It is you can, now. I'll allow it. <laughs> Uh-huh. You can you can you can take people and throw them in a cell, and that way they won't do more crime. But you can't make them better. There's just something intrinsically wrong with them, um, which is not how most reasonable people understand uh, criminal behavior and the criminal mind. Right. We get a lot of we get fed a lot of images of criminality that are that are uh, much more but, sophisticated than the reality tends to be. Uh, and, and by the and and there's a whole racist element to this uh, sentencing as absolutely. well. Absolutely. Which you, can, which you cannot deny. And this is the one issue, if you remember, where Barack Obama and the Koch brothers were actually in league. That's right. Uh, but that's been reversed now, so we'll just have to wait three more years, and then we'll get back to doing the right thing as soon as we get rid of Donald Trump. Uh, Alan, so good to see you. You too, Thank Bill. you for coming and Pleasure's keeping always. us up to date on this. When we come back, more on the repeal of Obamacare. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Probably the worst, the most hate-filled speech given by any American president, Donald Trump, at the United Nations yesterday. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It's Wednesday, September 20. So good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. The Bill Press Show, coming to you live coast to coast from our studio here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. With all the news of the day, uh, yeah, it was a fiery, uh, again, hate-filled speech. Uh, the president's debut speech to the United Nations, uh, shocking the people there. They haven't heard language like that since Hugo Chavez or Muammar Gaddafi, uh, threatening to totally, not just destroy, totally destroy um, North Korea uh, and, um, and and also ripping apart the Iran nuclear deal um, in a language I think that all Americans um, could have been ashamed of and going back to his campaign tactics of uh, calling people names, um, Lion Ted, Crooked Hillary, Little Marco, and now Rocket Man, Kim, Kim Jong-un. We'll cover that with uh, Joe Cirincioni in a half an hour. But also the big news is uh, that the Senate Republicans are determined uh, that they are going to repeal Obamacare and replace it with nothing. Emily Tish Sussman is campaign's director at the Center for American Progress of the CAP Action Fund, uh, she's uh, on top of this, following this, very much part of the protest, and joins us this morning. Hello, Emily. Nice Good to see you. Good morning. All right. We want to get our update and what people can do uh, to block this uh, latest effort at repeal. We thought it was dead, but they brought it back from the grave. We'll jump right into it with you and look forward to hearing from you. Send us your comments on Twitter, what you think about what's going on today in the news, at BP Show. But first... 
Benson this here. is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Wednesday morning. We begin with a new report in Politico this morning exposes, exposing another member of the Trump administration with lavish travel habits. No, it's not Steven Mnuchin. This yeah. time, it's Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price. Because just last week, Tom Price took private jets on five different flights for official business. Those flights, including one that took him to my home state of Maine, cost tens of thousands more dollars than commercial travel would have cost. On one on one leg of the trip, this, this part of it is, is pretty amazing, and, and uh, Bill, I think you will be able to relate personally to this, given someone uh, who travels frequently uh, on the uh, mm-hmm. uh, Mid-Atlantic Corridor. Yeah, but not on private planes. Not on I private add. planes, uh, as far as we know. Yeah. Uh, on one leg of the trip, I'm reading directly from the report, a sprint from Dulles International Airport to Philadelphia International Airport, which is 135 miles. There was a commercial flight that departed at roughly the same time. Price's charter left Dulles at 8.27 a.m., and a United Airlines flight departed for <laughs> Philadelphia at 8.22 a.m. He very well could have hopped on that commercial flight, but instead took a private jet from Washington, D.C. to Philadelphia, which, Bill, as you know, could easily have been done on the Acela. I was just going to say to join me on the Acela uh, about an hour and a half to Philadelphia, and it's a great ride. Take a little nap, have a hot dog. Oh, or a so, muffin, depending uh, he, on what time of day. I, I think we're going to keep hearing of this, this this mismanagement of funds, the the decisions Listen, that these the, guys are. They're all uh, starting with the president on down. They're all in it for the money. Well, we were talking about you know earlier uh, earlier in the week with Sean Spicer at the Emmys. Obviously, Sean Spicer not part of the Trump administration anymore, but Donald Trump ran a campaign for president so that he could make himself and his friends richer. Well, look and so Steve, far, Steve Mnuchin. Give yeah. me a government plane for my honeymoon. Certainly, yeah. <laughs> certainly working. Hey, uh, some news from uh, the late night TV beat. NBC has announced for the first time ever, Saturday Night Live will be live across the country when it returns for its new season September 30th. Usually what they do is they air the West Coast uh, at 1130 Pacific time, right? Uh, it's 2.30 in the morning East Coast time. Yeah. But uh, they tested it at the end of the season last year. It worked. So SNL <laughs> will be fully live starting September 30th. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, they are on a roll for sure. On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Hello, 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 and welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Show on this Wednesday, September 20. So good to see you today, and it's good to have you with us with uh, lots to talk about. Uh, Yeah, we'll be getting into the uh, Trump speech at the uh, President Trump speech at the United Nations General Assembly uh, yesterday with Joe Cirincioni from the Plowshares Fund uh, in just about a half an hour. Uh, this half hour, we want to focus with all of you, and thank you again for joining us on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Thanks for joining us also on Free Speech TV and on WCPT out in the Chicago area. We want to focus on the latest Republican efforts where we thought it was dead a couple of months ago. There were attempts to repeal Obamacare. Uh, There was even a bipartisan effort to say, okay, let's forget about repeal and let's start maybe repairing, think how we can make Obamacare better. 
Uh, that's gone out the window now because Lindsey Graham and Bill Cassidy are out with a with this bill, which would which is worse than the first bill uh, in terms of would totally gut and destroy uh, Obamacare. And uh, they have until September 30 to pass it with only 50 votes. Uh, Mitch McConnell says he will bring it to the floor once they get to 50. Uh, how close are they? Emily Tish Sussman from the Center for American Progress Action Fund, on top of it, joins us this morning. Emily, again, great to see you. So what's the vote count today, would you say? Um, the vote count is very close. Republicans are actually very close to being able to pass this. I'd say probably even closer than they were before, which seems impossible because that was one vote. But they may yeah. actually be even closer as Republican senators have kind of set the line um, as to the things they would need. Um, they're kind of abandoning it. You know, those things are coming out. Like, for instance, John McCain had said he really wanted to hear from the governor. Uh, the governor has now come out in favor of it. So now he's saying that he may he may, in fact, vote for the bill. But I think the timing and the context here is pretty important as to what they're doing. The reason for this last push is because the internal Senate procedural rule that allows them to pass this bill with just fi- with just a civil majority, with just 51 votes, will expire September 30th. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason they're having this last big push to try to get something on the floor. You know, even though I wouldn't say this country is for a lack of things they need Congress to act on right now. Um, and yet the thing they're going to be they're going to do is rip away health care for millions of Americans, including those who are currently living in disaster areas. Um, so, you know, it's really a one two punch right there. Yeah, in fact, let's slow down right there. So what I, I've heard it said that this bill is worse than the, the first repeal. What is so bad about the Lindsey Graham and Bill Cassidy bill? Well, it would do a couple of things that the original bills did, right? Um, it would leave millions uninsured. It would have a real hit to rural hospitals, particularly those for those with pre-existing conditions. It would really it could have the opportunity to spike their premiums. Um, the reason I would talk about, you know, I referenced uh, people in hard hit areas. Um, is because they're block-granting Medicaid in this, which means that Medicaid can be flexible in times of disaster, uh, but cannot be flexible if it is block-granted. So it would leave state. You know, it, that was what was really used after Hurricane Katrina in Louisiana um, for a lot of the health relief, and that opportunity would then be gone. Um, you know, for states like Texas, Florida, Louisiana, right now that are being hard hit. Right. Well, um, so on Medicaid, my understanding is that this bill, in effect, would take the money away from states that have expanded Medicaid, uh, like West Virginia, like Maine, but also like California, like Ohio, and give it to states that did not expand Medicaid, right, in terms of a block grant, which they could use that block grant for anything they want, right? Doesn't have to be for Medicaid, or does it? Uh, well, I think it does have to be healthcare related. Healthcare related. Um, but, but, I mean, can you think of anything more partisan that, you know, it mostly was Democratic led states that expanded uh, that expanded Medicaid. Also, states that are really populous. I that think expanded there 31 Medicaid. states maybe that expanded Medicaid, weren't there? That, but. Yeah, there were. You know, it really led with the states that were much easier to pass. So either, you know, they had full Democratic control or partial Democratic control. And then eventually more Republican legislatures and governors started coming on board and saying, this is crazy that we're saying no to this. This would actually provide health coverage for right. our people. Uh, a couple of nights ago, um, I had dinner with uh, Diana du- Secretary Diana Dooley, who's the health secretary, health and human services secretary for California. California would lose twenty-eight billion dollars under this 
program. New York, probably a similar amount, right? Ohio, I mean, it's just Maine, a uh, billion dollars for Maine. Um, uh, and so these states, and these are people who, Medicare, Medicaid is the largest health insurance program in the country. So not, I mean, so basically it disappears under this legislation. The other thing I read about this bill is that, so the subsidies that now exist under Obamacare, they're gone, right? Subsidies without which millions of Americans could not afford to buy health insurance. Absolutely. And here's what is so, you know, just so crassly partisan and inhumane about this whole thing is that when Republicans had failed to pass the repeal through the Senate, they actually did move on through um, Lamar Alexander yeah. from Tennessee and Patty Murray from Washington in a bipartisan way to stabilize the insurance markets. They were actually, you know, acting like Congress, um, doing mm-hmm. what actually had to get done to stabilize the markets so that insurers don't pull out and they are able to continue covering people that need subsidies. Right. And it was going very well from all accounts that we heard inside the Senate. You know, they were going one by one with senators, getting them right. on board, showing right. what really needed to happen. <clears throat> and then last night, and so one of the things that we were, we had really been looking to was to see how much Senator Alexander from Tennessee, as the chair of the committee who was really driving the process, would go to Republican leadership and say, hey, please respect my process. I'm really, you know, I'm actually getting something done, right. something that needs to happen. Because the, the new repeal bill would totally, right. I mean, it would just yeah. make it. You know, it totally wouldn't need it at all. Um, and so we were really looking for him to, to provide some leadership. Um, and then last night he issued a statement saying, oh, you know, it's off. The bipartisan talks yeah. are off. It broke down, which is a total cop out. Um, and we had actually been seeing some, um, you know, unlikely allies in Tennessee <laughs> of Senator Alexander thanking him for driving the process. It was, an, you know, he was an unlikely champion at that point. Um, I do expect to see really a turn there. But one of the things that we're a little bit concerned about in this version of the healthcare fight, look, we only have basically 10 days, right, for them to do this. So it's a, it's a short time frame is that we do keep hearing over and over they're just not getting the same volume of calls. They're trying to sneak mm. it through, and mm. it seems like they may actually be succeeding. Which uh, all – you hear that? That's a warning. And we've been – We've been yesterday and today saying this is the time for the resistance to show its strength uh, and use that telephone number, 202-224-3121, and call everyone, every every member of the Senate. Don't take anybody for granted. Got to vote no on this Lindsey Graham bill, Cassidy bill. So Lamar Alexander not only dropped his effort and said, I've I've abandoned it, uh, but he said he's looking carefully at the new bill and trying to find a way to vote for it. I mean, which is just... I mean, it's unconscionable. Totally, totally, and totally contradictory. I want to come back to so the, the one, a couple of other features of this bill. I just want to make sure I have them correct. Is that one is um, under Obamacare, uh, insurance companies had to provide a basic package of benefits, right? Under the Lindsey Graham bill, um, states can opt for a waiver and say no. We could, they could sell insurance plans in here that don't have bumpkas in it, right? Totally, and I can't think of anything that is. So, I mean, talk about unconscionable. Like it's, I mean, it's that is deceptive to people to tell them that you'd be selling them an insurance plan that actually doesn't cover anything. Right. It's unbelievable. But you could do that under this. Absolutely, could do it. And the other the thing one. is, under Obamacare, uh, insurance companies could not charge senior citizens, older people, more for their insurance. But under Lindsey Graham, states again can. 
Yeah, they can jack up that age rating. And that's right. actually one of the reasons that we've seen um, the AARP more involved in this fight than I think we have in a long time. Because we would really screw. So people. yesterday um, there were uh, several organizations that you mentioned, AARP, the American Medical Association, the American Heart Association, the March of Dimes, for God's sakes, all came out against it. Basically, every the nurses, doctors, every healthcare organization has yep. come out against it. But also, interestingly, 10 governors, including Republican Governor John Kasich, Republican Governor Larry Hogan uh, from Maryland. I mean, you might say, well, Kasich, of course, because he's going to run against Trump. But I mean, Larry <laughs> Hogan's a, a solid conservative. Brian Sandoval from, from Nevada. Even, he's a Democrat, but even the governor of Louisiana, Bill Cassidy's governor, said, no, this is a bad bill. Don't do it. Yeah. And in Louisiana, um, the governor of Louisiana, even though he's a Democrat, had actually refrained from stepping in during the first version of the health care fight because they do have, you know, a collegial um, yeah. you know, working relationship. And so he'd made, you know, minor statements, but really hadn't getting on. So it is actually quite noteworthy, um, particularly since it is Cassidy from Louisiana who's sponsoring the bill. So the governors could really be key in this. Right. Right. And as you point out, however, the which I don't understand at all. The governor of Arizona, who opposed the first repeal bill, now here's a bill that's worse, and he supports this one. Yeah, this makes no sense at all. And in fact, there's been a lot of local voices within Arizona speaking out against every version of this bill. Some unlikely partners, like the actual the Arizona Chamber of Commerce there has been against health care repeal. Um, and yet still, the Arizona, the governor said that he was for this version, which is unexplainable to me. All right. Um, so let's look at the... Um, uh, by the way, so Lindsey Graham yesterday, he is uh, he's citing like, if you don't go with me, then you're going to get stuck with Bernie Sanders. Here he is. Yeah, we know how this movie ends if we don't change. We're going to have a single pair of health care system in this country that's going to bust the budget. I mean, he's just lying through his teeth. If his bill fails, we don't get. Single payer. By the way, I'm for single payer. <laughs> but what we get is a continuation of Obamacare. And hopefully, right. if Lamar Alexander would get his act back together again, an improved Obamacare. An improved Obamacare would be right? great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. So it's not like Lindsey Graham is the savior, right, saving us from single payer. <laughs> no, I mean, what's so interesting is that the rhetoric of the presidential campaign was, you know, expanded coverage, lower costs, Right. Well, on the part of Donald Trump, yeah. <laughs> Certainly. We, we haven't seen anything like that coming from the Republicans. Right. I mean, right. That was the Trump rhetoric. And what we're seeing now is quite the opposite. There was an interesting uh, report yesterday of a converse, of the um, the ride they took. I believe it was the plane ride from New York to D.C. Um, with Graham and Trump. And oh no, I think it was Graham and Pence on the plane. Yesterday. Trump called. Yeah. Trump yeah. called in and was talking about how, you know, he's all in. He doesn't seem to know it's in the bill, but, you know, never oh, stopped yeah. him before. He's all in. He really wants them to repeal. Um, and then there was a little bit of an exchange about how, you know, Graham has been critical of Trump. But there was a little bit of exchange of, of Graham saying, well, I see his value now. I can see I can see, you know, we can really we can find some common ground. Um, you know, the same can be said for Jeff Flake, the other senator from Arizona, who wrote an op ed about how, you know, we can't normalize Trump. It's not the Republican Party and was really lauded for that. But. He's all in on this bill, too. So I think that what we're seeing is, though, even though a handful of Republicans are willing to speak out against 
the most extreme things that Trump might say or, you know, his manner, really, in the end, they're willing to get on board with his agenda. Yeah. Want to get a couple comments from our social feeds in? Of course, we are on Twitter at BP Show. We actually put a uh, poll up uh, a little while ago asking whether John McCain, whether you think John McCain will vote with his constituents in mind or will he simply side with his friends like Lindsey Graham? Uh, it looks as though most of you think that he's going to vote yes on this thing so far, but uh, weigh in on Twitter at BP Show. Also, in the chat room on YouTube, youtube.com backslash the Bill Press Show, Smacky Pipe says, why would governors, even red state ones, want to receive less money and say that's a good thing? Donna uh, Doesn't said- Doesn't make sense at all. That's no. a great point. point. Yeah. <laughs> Donna great said, point. Uh, for her part, she was on hold for 22 minutes yesterday calling Lisa Murkowski's office. Good for you, Donna. Keep calling. <laughs> yes. And yes. Sar says, and the sad thing is so many Trumpsters will happily pay the- uh, 20% premium increases next year to get those people, in quotes, off their, in quotes, free stuff. So keep weighing in either in the chat room on YouTube or on Twitter at BP Show. Indeed. Uh, thank you, Jamie. Yes. All right. So let's look at these um, uh, at these uh, senators. We know one solid no vote I think we can count on, right, Rand Paul? That's true because he wants a more extreme version of the bill, but... You know, if he is the one to hold up the bill, there's really no saying what deal could end up being made. I wouldn't I don't know that I would count him forever. But he is I I hear you. And by the way, you are absolutely right not to believe anything any one of these Republicans (laughs) says. But at the time, he is the only Republican who has said definitively, I'm voting no. Correct. No, if he follows through or not, we'll see. Okay, <laughs> so we're down to fifty-one. Now, how can Susan uh, Collins or Lisa Murkowski, who voted against this bill the first time around, how could they possibly vote against the first repeal? How could they possibly vote for this measure? Well, you know, if you're asking me to get into the head of a Republican, that's that's a tall order. Um, there's, it's. It would be tough. I mean, I think it would be very tough for them to reconcile that. To make the case, wouldn't it? It would be very hard for I mean, them to make that take, case. Uh, Susan and, Collins of Maine. We know that this bill would take a billion dollars away from Maine, right? Absolutely. This is bad for her state. And, and Lisa gonna, Murkowski knows it's bad for for uh, Alaska. I mean, she was she was greeted like a queen when she came back from Washington after yep. voted against this last one. The people of Alaska don't want this repeal. Yeah, they really don't. Um, there was huge amount of activity in Alaska. And thank you to your caller who said they stayed on the phone for 22 minutes. Yeah. Keep calling. Right. Yeah. Um, she obviously needs to hear that this is a vote that she will be measured on. Um, I think, you know, they may be thinking politically, unfortunately, where they think they can kind of get away with doing both. They got a lot of press. They were really um, they, they got a lot of um they were really uh, viewed as being like the saviors. They had crowds at the airport when they right. arrived. I mean, how often do you get that when you're a senator? I would say right? basically no. never. Never. Yeah. Um, you know, they were really viewed as being the saviors of healthcare, so they may think they can kind of get away with doing both. People would remember that that they were the saviors, but then they also get to, you know, repeal Obamacare. There'll be more well, state I, by state. Numbers I have great them. respect for both of them, and I, I, I just, uh, I, I don't want to be the eternal optimist, although maybe I am, that they're both going to do the right thing, and if they do. And if Rand Paul sticks to his guns, um, that would get us down again to 49. Yeah. Uh, they need 50, right? Yeah. 
Um, is there anybody and else? And Pence that, can come in and be 51. At 50, right. But 50, if they get to 50, right. Pence is 51. By the way, I, I have to tell you just a little segue. I was out for a little power walk yesterday, and I just happened to be go- passing right by the, <laughs> the Capitol on the way back when Mike Pence was leaving with his little <laughs> lunch yesterday. I want you to know I was very polite. I did not throw tomatoes. Only because I didn't have any. I think you would have gotten all in a lot of trouble if you'd thrown tomatoes at the vice president of the United States. <laughs> just, a, were, just a hunch. If there were any nearby, <laughs> I would have been tempted. But anyway. And then thrown in jail. <laughs> I just decided. All right. So 49. Now we get to John McCain. Um, we know what uh, John McCain said yesterday when he was asked. This is a man who is always has something to say about everything. <laughs> Not yesterday. I have nothing to say. Thank you. I have nothing to say, right, because his best friend, Lindsey Graham, wants his vote. Oh, very, very badly. Yeah, I have to imagine (coughs) that John McCain is going through some kind of struggle here. From a human perspective, you can't imagine going through you know, brain surgery, like having a brain tumor, and then being okay with taking away health care from tens of millions of people. One would hope not. Yeah. But but one would hope it wouldn't even be, I hate to use the phrase, that would be a no-brainer, but I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a poor choice right here. Not a poor choice of words in this case. Let's not go down that road. (laughs) But he wouldn't even consider voting yes on this. Given what the way he voted the last time, Certainly. given all the uh, acclaim that he got for that dramatic vote, right, and the guts that he had and the courage he showed. Oh, and that amazing g- video where they showed the yeah. where he went, who talked to him, yeah. their faces. That, that, that was great. No, that whole thing. <laughs> and then given his own personal health problems, that this wouldn't even be a consideration. Are you kidding? You would say, are you no effing way am I going to vote for that bill? Yeah, I mean, this is unfortunately where we see the modern-day Republican Party, that they are willing to put party and politics over basically everything. The thing that ultimately matters is getting wins, voting as a block, making good on campaign promises. If I had to put money on it, John McCain's going to vote yes. I unfortunately probably agree with you. Is there anybody else out there that maybe a Lamar Alexander? Lamar Alexander did seem, because he was really championing this process, did seem like a good prospect. I mean, if I were in Tennessee, I would hammer him for this. You know, he was beginning to show um, some elements of leadership and normal order, like understanding the country actually has to move on. You can't just stand on ceremony all the time. So, mm -hmm. but he's not known necessarily as a man to break with his party, right? Or to show any real independence or or guts. No, no, he is not known for his guts. I'd say in Tennessee, it's actually probably more likely to be the other senator, Bob Corker. Mm -hmm. Um, He is not known for his guts, but, you know, we thought maybe he was so proud of his product that he was actually getting something done. Um, that he could, you know, kind of quietly go to leadership, but this public statement is really unhelpful. One thing that was very impressive the last time um, was the, the level, uh, the number of people who turned out, the level of protest against the repeal, uh, not not just physically at the U.S. Capitol, in their offices, in their district offices, yep. all, you know, all around the country. Um, and I, I think that had a, a, a made was a great factor in the defeat of the first repeal effort. 
what is happening this time in terms of the resistance, the opposition? Because they sort of snuck this up on us, right? Really, we did didn't sneak know it this up. was coming. Yeah, no, they really snuck it in. Um, I totally agree with you. Is the resistance <clears throat> organized now and getting organized? What are you doing? I mean, that's yeah. fun. And what can people do? Absolutely. So I'd say last. I totally agree with you. Last time, it was a huge factor. Um, I think probably the biggest factor, um, at least in having them consider, you know, different options or slowing it down. You know, they were really jamming it down in the throat of their own of their own senators try to get it through. Unfortunately, I think just guys, we're just not seeing the same volume um, of calls of people showing up this time. Um, and so it feels like they may sneak it through. I was actually. Oh, come on, people get busy. Yeah, let's get some calls in. When you were um, going through the senators, I was pulling up on my phone to remind me what our list is because um, we actually keep um, we keep a list that we update every day on Trump Care Toolkit. Mm-hmm. So it's on TrumpCareToolkit.org. Um, we keep like a dynamic list running of all the senators that we believe to actually be movable on this vote. Okay. Um, Who are they? What'd you find? Okay, well, what did yeah. I find? Well, now let's pull again. it up. Yeah. Okay, that's right. great. So top of the list, Lisa Murkowski Lisa, from Alaska. Right. Yeah. Uh, more Capitum from West Virginia. By the way, there's another one. I mean, people in yeah. West Virginia are just going to get slammed if Obamacare is repealed because there's so many people there who take advantage of the subsidies, have bought into the system, yeah. or uh, or Medicaid. Right. And I don't think that people necessarily realize that it's not just the people directly benefiting from, you know, so-called Obamacare, but that once the insurance markets, you know, once they're allowed to do anything, it's however oh, yeah. you get it. If you get it from your employer, individual markets, um, as you mentioned, the essential health benefits, the core package uh, will be non-existent. States can decide. And by the way, get it from your employer now. Employers won't have to provide it right. if, if Obamacare is repealed. Okay, so those okay. two, so right? We've got, yeah, we've got West Virginia, Alaska. Then we've got John McCain in Arizona. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Portman, Senator Portman in Ohio. Well, you know, he's got cover there, right? I mean, his governor has come out. His governor is begging for him to vote no. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, Senator Cory Gardner in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Then we've got we've still got Senator Alexander up there. Okay. I think still worth calling from mm-hmm. Tennessee. Interestingly, Senator Mike Rounds in South Dakota. We were hearing yesterday that there's some. Um, I just heard that name for the first time like a week ago. <laughs> I had no idea he existed. Yeah. He exists. He exists, and he should be getting calls there from everyone in South Dakota. Uh, how about Brian? Uh, I mean, Dean Heller. Yes, definitely Heller. Now Heller you've got the is governor. His governor has come out, and he's so vulnerable. He I mean, is, he is the most vulnerable Republican. Without question. Heller yeah, in, yeah. in um, Arizona and Flake, sorry, uh, Heller in Nevada and yeah. Flake in Arizona are oh, the yeah. two most vulnerable Republicans, and they right. both should be voting right. against this. And technically, this bill is actually called the Graham Cassidy Heller Johnson bill, yeah. which includes Dean Heller and Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. Yeah, so he's signed right on it, but we also hear yeah. from people in Nevada, he doesn't really stand for anything. Um, so interestingly, another interesting person we have on here is um, Jerry Moran from Kansas. We were hearing internal conversation that he actually really does not like the bill. Um, but, you know, not known to vote against his party would need to no. hear a real yeah. – we need to see a real groundswell of support from his constituents to vote against it. Um, we also have on here um, a couple of members who are working on 
uh, on the stabilization. So maybe some unlikely Republicans, but they were working on the stabilization, so we think they're they maybe more inclined to keep going down that road. Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas mm-hmm. um, and Senator Joni Ernst from Iowa. Right. As well as Tillis. Right. Uh, so there's your list on the part of the Center for American Progress Action Fund. Uh, and um, so get to work. Make those calls again. The, it's the same number for everybody. And I always tell you, when you get there, get in, 202-224-3121. You'll get a prompt asking what zip code you live in. Ignore that. Just push zero and then ask for whatever senator you want. They'll connect you to that senator's office and tell them to do the right thing and vote no uh, on the Lindsey Graham uh, Bill Cassidy bill. All right, Emily, you get you better get back to work. You got a lot of. Oh, I've got a lot of senators in the list. A lot of senators connect <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much. And Joe Cirazzoni, Plowshares Fund, joins us next uh, to take a look at um, again maybe the worst speech that any American president has ever given. Certainly has ever given to the United Nations General Assembly. We'll be right back. Not only did Bill Cassidy fail the Jimmy Kimmel test, he failed the Bill Cassidy test. He failed his own test. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. All right, here we go for our final half hour here together today on Wednesday, September 20, the Bill Press Show. Good to see you. Thank you for joining us. Wherever you are in the United States of America and around the planet, actually, uh, it's good to have you with us. As we come to you live from Washington, D.C., and brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, those good men and women of the AFGE under President J. David Cox, they're the ones who keep our federal agencies running, not just here in Washington. Eighty percent of them uh, are in offices all around the country, uh, servicing American, proud to get up uh, and work for America every single day. We salute them. Thank them for the support of the program. You can find their... Uh, more about their good work at their website, afge.org. Uh, yes, people said we haven't heard anybody this negative uh, at the in front of the United Nations, maybe since Muammar Gaddafi or Hugo Chavez. And yesterday it was Donald Trump. Overall, Joe, what do you think of the speech? An embarrassment to the nation, uh, a rebuke to this international body. Uh, I think... We haven't heard anything like this. You'd have to compare this to Khrushchev, the banging of the shoe, uh, even broader to to a Mussolini or Franco. This kind of of bullying, this I think you called it a hate-filled speech. Uh, uh, no policy, no positive suggestions, no plan of any kind. Just an appeal to to uh, nationalism. Sovereignty. He, he he used the word sovereign or sovereignty 21 times. This was a pure American first speech. Well, that, if, to the extent that there was any theme, it was that theme that you just touched on, which was kind of strange. Well, let's, mm. let's hear, it, hear it from him, um, what he says. My goal is, and it should be your goal, too. Here he is. As president of the United States, I will always put... America first. 
just like you, as the leaders of your countries, will always and should always put your countries first. So is that what the United Nations is all about? Of course not. And that was his only applause line. This is at a body created by the but United not, States. Not a, not a very enthusiastic No, not a very enthusiastic applause. That was the best you got. That, you know, that, that was BB. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was, a, there was a handful of world leaders who, who liked this speech. The, the international reaction is rolling in. People are appalled by, by what they saw. This has alienated countries from the United States. This has weakened our ties with our allies. Even one of our closest allies in Asia, Japan, P- President Abe's office refused comment on, on the mm. speech, you know, and they right. want to like Donald Trump. Yeah, of course. Right, right. So, so, so now this to, is an this international you... body. This is where you, 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 you pool your interests, where you don't put your own country's interests first for the sake of solving problems that we can only solve together. And this was a direct affront to the very core uh, reason for the existence of the United Nations. I mean, that, that's what was missing to yeah. me from the speech is, yes, of course, as Americans, we put our country first in a, to a certain extent. But then the reason for the United Nations is there are many problems that we can only solve together. Exactly. So while we love our country, right. number one... We're here to work wait, wait. with you to make it a better planet. And the United Nations was born in the wake of World War II where we saw what happens when one nation thinks its interests are uber alles, are mm-hmm. overall, you know. And that was, the United Nations was a direct refutation of that view. And here's, here's, here's President Trump resuscitating that very dangerous theory. Uh, it's also uh, a time where previous American presidents, mm-hmm. Republican and Democrat, have always given... And, you know, an aspirational speech, right? They, yes. they, they start to try, and they, uh, and certainly they don't con, uh, didn't indulge in personal insults, even against people that we may not uh, agree with. Uh, with Donald Trump, though, it's back to the old campaign rhetoric. We had a little Marco, Lion Ted, Crooked mm-hmm. Hillary, and now we have Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself and for his regime. What does this get us? Uh, nothing at all. It just satis- satisfies um, Donald Trump's uh, I- I- inner drives. This is clearly, clearly he was using the United Nations as a prop. He didn't really care about the, the delegates. This was all about appealing to his base, just as he did in the very first week of his presidency when he uses the CIA to talk about himself. And in fact, I think I've seen the papers today trying to look at look at what this means, what strategy, try to piece. But I think we're making a mistake if we try to impose some kind of rationality, some kind of grand plan on Trump. I, <laughs> I, I don't think there's a strategy here at all. I think what we're seeing is is a bully uh, uh, taking a stage and acting as as a bully and, and just extending it now to a global stage. We're, we're watching n- not strategy, but the the personal pathology of Donald Trump projected as policy. And in terms of uh, our dealing with North Korea, mm. uh, his very next statement, of course, uh, is um, so, uh, you know, if you think Donald Trump he seems to be thinking about one thing only, and mm-hmm. one one way out of this uh, contretemps that we now have with North Korea, and here he is, lays it out. The United States has great strength and patience, but if it is forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Mm-hmm. Again, 
Right. An American president in front of the General Assembly going with a message right, right, of, right, right. we're going to obliterate another country. There were so many things wrong with that statement. I mean, if, well, number one, I think this is this is the, what I mean by the person of pathology. This is the bully, right? He talks nice. He talks in soft tones. But if you don't do what he says, he has no choice but to totally destroy you, right? And you see him doing this with his staff. You know, you see him, and now you see yep. him picking on, on countries. And of course, no president has ever said anything like this. Project strength, of course. Talk about the awesome power that we have, yes. But what remorsefully, like, we don't want to use this. Let's find a peaceful way. Nothing like that in Donald Trump's view of the world, you, the, his view of power, his view of force. Uh, and uh, so. Then he moved on to Iran. Now, here's mm. what I don't understand, and I'm really glad you're here today because I, I, I just wanted to ask you about this. So we wanted Iran, we want North Korea to give up their pursuit of nuclear weapons. Whether they're, that's realistic or not at this point is another discussion. But that's that's our goal we did, yes. from every president. We wanted Iran to give up their pursuit of nuclear weapons. Yes. Okay. Now, Iran did. Exactly. What North Korea has not done, and we got this deal with Iran, and then he wants to rip it up. Right. The no, Iran, what's, is, what's the logic of this? None whatsoever. The Iran deal is a model of what you'd like to get with North Korea. If we could get North Korea to do what Iran did, we would declare victory. We would be For 15 thrilled. years, right? Uh, strict limits on 15 years, but but rolling back their program, they ripped out their centrifuges. They, they, they took the core of their plutonium production reactor, drilled it full of holes, filled it with concrete, shipped out the uranium. You have to understand this. They destroyed billions of dollars of, of nuclear production capability. They said it was peaceful. They said it was for fuel, um, but it could be used for build bombs, mm -hmm. rolled everything back, and then opened up their facilities to the strictest international inspections ever negotiated. Yes, there were some problems. We didn't get everything we wanted, but you could build on the deal. You could have supplemental agreements. You could have a follow-on agreement. You don't like that it expires in 15 years? Fine. Let's negotiate a deal for what happens in, in 15 years. But that's not what Trump is going to do. No, and here's what he says about, uh, about, uh, about the deal. Again, this is the same thing he said all during the campaign. Yeah. The Iran deal was one of the worst and most one-sided transactions the United States has ever entered into. Frankly, that deal is an embarrassment to the United States, mm. and I don't think you've heard the last of it. Mm. Believe me. Believe me. Yeah. Uh, first of all, why is it a one-sided deal? Well, of, of course it's not. It's a seven-sided deal. Remember, this is not a, a deal. And this is what he does. He doesn't even understand. I doubt very much that if you ask Donald Trump to describe a feature, a feature of the deal, he could not. He doesn't get it. As you know... He his, probably also doesn't know what other countries his, have signed on. His staff says he won't read more than half a memo. Okay, this is a 140-page deal. You, do you think this man read past a page? I don't think he's even looked at it. Anyway, this is a deal that negotiated with our allies, with the European Union. Our closest allies are in on this deal, support the deal, are writing to him. I know. I was up in uh, the United Nations on Monday. I had dinner with President Rouhani of Iran mm -hmm. and, and several, and he had just met with Macron, who had just met with Trump, the French 
President Macron. Macron is trying to get the president to stay with it. All our European allies, because this is a good deal. This solves the problem, at least for as far into the future as anybody can see, a good, a good 15 years. So he's rejecting that. He's rejecting the international instruments. He's rejecting something that was passed by the UN Security Council and endorsed that's being enforced by the International Atomic Energy Agency. He's just throwing all that aside. He's, he's al- well, he's not alone. There's Bibi. Mm-hmm. That is the only world leader who supports what Trump is doing. Not even the Saudis want him to tear up this deal. Right. So this deal um, comes up for what, renewal or something? Well, because Rex Tillerson is having a meeting today he, ask about, in yes, New York. The first one that he's going to attend. On this, on the right. Iran deal. Now, he said something yesterday yes. again. It's almost like Paris. We want to renegotiate it. Here's... Rex Tillerson. It's not a it's not a stiff enough agreement. It doesn't slow their program enough and holding them accountable is difficult under the agreement. But most importantly, the agreement comes to an end. And so we can almost start the countdown clock as to when they will resume their nuclear weapons capability. Well, what does he mean by that? First of all, Rex Tillerson, I don't think he's read it either, by the way. But what does he mean it comes to an end? When? Talk about bullying. This is a man who's been beaten into submission by Trump. He was he was started out strongly in favor of this deal, arguing in the private yeah. sessions, yeah. you got to keep this, as has the Secretary of Defense Mattis. All the national security team want to keep the deal. They've now been bullied by the president into these kinds of statements. It's absolute uh, nonsense. It's completely untrue. The expert consensus, the new, the global consensus, is exactly the opposite of what Tillerson is saying. What he means is that in 15 years, some of the, most of the limits come off. They could build more centrifuges, for example. But they're still banned from building any nuclear weapons. They're still, they're still, we still track it. The inspections stay there. If they were to try to start building nuclear weapons, we would know it almost immediately and could take new action. And, of course, you're going to have supplemental agreements. So for the first time this week, Tillerson's going to meet down with his counterparts, the, all the nations who negotiated this deal meet to review the progress of the deal. And if there are problems, there are mechanisms for fixing this. If there really were violations, as Trump claims, there's a mechanism for correcting those. But we haven't brought any of that to, the, to mm-hmm. this body. Why? Because it's not true. It's just a rhetorical point. It's not an actual point. Iran is living up to the deal. But here's what happens. The congressional legislation that sort of um, validated the deal requires that every 90 days the president certify that Iran is complying with the deal. Got it. So, so when is... that happened last time in July, the president didn't want to do it. His entire national security team were, were, were baffled by this. They said, you have to. The intelligence agencies agree Iran is complying with the deal. He said he didn't want to do it. Okay, then he agreed to do it this time. He didn't want to do it next time. But And so October 14th, he's probably going to announce that he's not going to certify Iran's compliance, that starts a congressional clock. Congress then has a 60-day window in which they can reimpose sanctions. If they do that, that breaks the deal. The whole thing shatters. They that just breaks need- the deal for the United States. Does the whole deal shatter to the other country? Would Iran, then Iran would say, well, hell with it, right? Well, then Iran's in the cat's, catbird seat, as we said. I, 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 right. As I say, I had dinner with President Rouhani on, on Monday, and he was talking about you know, Iran's sort of options at that point, um, he, they could stay in the deal with the Europeans. And it would be the U.S. that would be isolated, or 
they would be free to pursue their nuclear program again without any constraints whatsoever. The sanctions mechanism would be shattered because the U.S. had broken out, and the ins- they, they, they'd be in their legal rights to kick out the inspectors and do whatever they want. So you sh- if, if Trump does what he wants to do, Iran wins. Right. I think it's Politico has a story this morning where, uh, as you, you kind of pointed out, that so many other world leaders and so many members of the Trump administration are saying, no, you've got to stay in this deal. This right. is, I mean, maybe it's not perfect, and maybe we, but we can fix it a little bit, but do not break this deal like and, you did, Paris. And, and a, that he is just not listening. And is it maybe, yeah. it's hard to get inside of his head, of course, uh, but that he thinks that unless he made a deal, it's not a good deal, right? right. He's the only, he's the deal maker. Supreme. Yeah, right? e- even though there's no evidence of that at no, all. There's exactly. no deal. What has he done so far? What deal has he made? What, right. So, no. And here's the other thing. There's, there's, it's not just that you, you shatter the, the deal that's restraining the Iranian program. It's that you shatter America's word. You shatter our ability to conduct diplomatic uh, agreements. Why on earth would North Korea trust us to make a deal if the deal we just made can be overturned by the next president, by the whim of, 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 of the next president. You're really undermining the core of America's credibility, making it much more difficult to make agreements with anyone on, on anything. Oh, it's just, uh, <laughs> how did he get there, Joe? <laughs> yeah. No. Um, well, it's a, it's, a na- it's a natural disaster. I mean, it's, it's Hurricane right. Trump. He just, just keeps coming one bad di- decision after another. You think you're done with it? You think you have a respite? No. There's, next week, there's a new new uh, uh, catastrophe. What protection do we have if North Korea were to file, fire a missile toward uh, South Korea or, or toward the United States? I, I, I keep hearing people say, well, we've got this missile defense system, so... Nah. It's not really. Right. So why don't we just shoot down these test missiles? Yeah. So let's take it in two parts. The test missiles, the one that just okay. flew over Japan, we don't shoot it down because we can't shoot it down. You hear leaders saying, oh, well, we chose not to. No, 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 no. We chose not to because you can't. These missiles are just flying too high for any of these systems that we have out there. The Patriot, THAAD, Aegis. These are all theater systems. They can't go that high. They only basically work if the missile, the threat missile, is aiming right at the system. It's coming right at the Aegis ship, right at the THAAD. Then maybe you get a chance to shoot it down. But even then, although they've done well in tests, they've never been stressed under any realistic circumstances. So, for example, THAAD, very capable system. That's on- this, this is the system that is in South Korea. Exactly, right? and yeah. in Guam. That's where okay. that is. Right. So you sh- that's a pretty good system. Got a great radar. You shoot a medium-range missile at that system. It, it has a pretty good chance of knocking it down. But what happens if you shoot four? Well, it's never been tested for four or three. You know, it's, it's well, if you could overwhelm about, the system. If you're talking about what... Kim Jong Un's capable of if he really wanted to absolutely if his mission right were to have a preemptive knockout strike against South Korea he's going to launch a hundred he has a thousand short and medium range missiles okay. he could launch at South Korea he's got enough material so, for maybe to put ten or twelve warheads on them which one of those missiles has the nuclear warhead you don't know yeah you and know. the idea that Thad could shoot down all right. of them? It, right. Oh, oh, yes. And then, so let's say he's got a long-range missile heading at the United States, and you hear our officials say, we have the capability to defend the United States against a limited ballistic missile attack. Ah, 
that adjective, limited. What they mean is if it's a simple attack, one missile, no decoys, no countermeasures, no attempt to, to suppress the defense by, say, knocking out the radars before they launch the missile, we got about a 50-50 chance of knocking it down. In tests, under those ideal conditions, half the time it works. But in the real world, not a chance. No. Not a chance these things would work. Because I had this conversation with us in an interview that I did with a, uh, a West Coast California radio station was asking, what if they lob a missile? This was in Northern California. At us. Yeah. What defense do we have? I said none. None. Zero. None. No, we no, have. Am a, I, was I right? You, you're right. We have a scarecrow defense. We have interceptors that we say work, but they, look, let me just, just to get you, I won't go too much into this, but half, we know that half of the interceptors that we have, we have just, just under 40, have a faulty kill vehicle. The switch doesn't work. So right away, half of them we know don't work. So just to, to this, the, we're, we're discovering reliability problems. You push the button. It's not clear that those things actually will leave the silos. And then when they actually engage, it, it, it requires perfect, pristine conditions for them to work. I wrote an article about this in a publication called Defense One online. It's gotten 350,000 views mm. in the last uh, two days. People are really concerned about about knowing what our real capabilities are and not what our officials uh, say about them. And is this a system uh, on the West Coast located at, what's it, Vandenberg? Is Vandenberg. It? There's a, I think there's yeah. six interceptors at Vandenberg and then the rest are up in Alaska. So there it is, right? There it is. Um, what are the, is there any effort maybe privately that I'm not, not talking about the, to try to get North Korea and Japan and others back to the back to the table? There are two things. There's a, a, a relatively low-level uh, State Department employee. As you know, we've gutted our State Department, so we don't actually right. have people well, who know Rex what Rex Tillerson doing. doesn't need them. No. There's no he, has no he has no uh, plans for filling them. There's no posts. ambassador to South Korea. There's no assistant secretaries for New East Asia. No second, nothing. Nothing. None of the people you need are there, and there's no sign that they're going to be there. Um, but there's this very competent mid-level official, Joseph Yun, who's been talking to the North Koreans. The North Koreans are up in New York. Mm-hmm. You want to talk mm-hmm. to the North Koreans, they're right there. You don't have to go to Pyongyang. The foreign minister of North Korea is here this week. Rex Tillerson could walk across the hall and go talk to him. Um, low-level discussions, but nothing serious as far as we know. The Chinese are trying to make a push. If anybody's going to work the deal, it's going to be the Chinese, and they actually have a plan that they're trying to get the United States to agree to, basically a freeze. North Korea would freeze their their program. In exchange, China would give them massive economic aid, which is something they want, and in exchange, the U.S. and South Korea would, would ratchet down their joint exercises with North Korea, says, threaten them. And so far, no interest in the United States in negotiating that deal. Um. Many of us have been watching the uh, Ken Burns documentary on yes. the, the Vietnam War. God. Brings back memories, right? To go, go through that again and remind you that it's not just Donald Trump's administration that lies to you. Right. And what a story. I, I, I was just, I thought I knew everything about Vietnam. Yeah. I didn't realize how early it started. Yeah. I mean, really, Harry Truman, Dwight Eisenhower, then. When we John started Kennedy. backing the French as they yes. took over right. Vietnam. And then when the French failed, then instead of recognizing this was a failed strategy, we just picked up yeah. their role. And, yeah. and then we became the aggressors and we became the oppressors. And But I, I kept 
flashing also to, aren't we making the same mistake in Afghanistan? Yes, staying in because we're there, not wanting to admit defeat. I thought of the same thing. I thought of our conversation. You know, why are we still there? And the reason we're still there is because we're there. And we don't want to admit defeat I mean, that there's no it. solution. Right. Yeah, same as in Vietnam. We just kept, and then they kept trying to put more troops in to sort of fix the problem. Uh, crazy plans that maybe 100,000 more would work, or maybe if we bombed more. Or, no, there's no military. There was no military solution in Vietnam, and there's no military solution in Afghanistan. Yeah, obviously, there are differences, and you know, fortunately, sure. not as many Americans have lost their lives in Afghanistan, but it has dragged on for us now 16 years, which yes. I think is longer than. Depends how had. you count Vietnam. Depends how you count Vietnam. You know, when, right. you go from, when you go from to combat troops, it's longer, but if you count the advisors and the propping up of the various uh, corrupt South Vietnamese dynasties, yeah. So just about a minute left. Every time you come in, I do have to re- remind uh, us all that there is still a situation in Syria. Yes. Y- 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 Where are we? Assad has control now, uh, good, somewhere between 40 to 60% of the country, depending on how, how, you, how you look at it. Um, the uh, the ISIS forces, which had been the the biggest opposition forces, are being steadily eroded, steadily, steadily right. de- defeated. The time is coming, perhaps soon, months, when when ISIS will lose its last stronghold. But no peace process, no settlement, no political settlement uh, in in sight. Um, this again is a situation where America sort of lost the, the battle first. By hoping that there wouldn't be a battle, and I think you and I won yeah. that side, right? And, and and now this, and failing to come up with any kind of winning diplomatic strategy to resolve it. Um, well, I'm sure today in New York, um, the, the uh, leaders of around the world are still shaking their heads about what they heard yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. By the way, and so are we. And Joe Sirazzoni so from the Plowshares Fund, plowshares.org, P-L-O-U-G-H, shares.org. Become a member. Help them out. They're doing great work. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Bill. Great to see you today. This Have a good day, folks. We'll look for you tomorrow. Show.